director of the house, and uh, it's, it's an honor to be here with you tonight. Um, this semester we've been hearing about God's wisdom um, and what it is for us in sort of different areas of our lives. That's the sermon series that we're in. We've been looking at wisdom uh, scripture, wisdom books in the Bible. Uh, if you want to know what those are, they just read differently. And, and actually, as I say that, um, if, you don't, if you don't know how to read the Bible or you just don't know that there's different kinds of uh, texts in the Bible, like I'd love to talk to you about that. I can geek out about that. Um, or I can give you somebody else that will talk to you about it that's not so nerdy. Um, in any case, wisdom books would be like the book of Job, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, uh, Ecclesiastes. The book of James is probably a clo- most closely aligned with wisdom literature as well. And it reads a little different. We've been looking at wisdom stuff all semester. Um, this gift for, for the overwhelming majority of our lives where specific instructions don't apply. Right? Like, what am I supposed to do with my life at all? What am I supposed to do? Who should I be friends with? What, what movie should I watch tonight? What am I going to eat for breakfast? Like, when we don't have specific instructions, when the scriptures don't sort of lay out for us exactly what to do in certain circumstances, which they do sometimes, or when, like, the clouds haven't parted and a beam of light has come down and we've heard an audible voice from God tell us, you should eat Cheerios you know, or whatever. Like, when, when we don't have specific instructions, what are we to do? God gives us wisdom. When specific instructions don't apply, we apply wisdom. Isn't that cute? I just made that up. Uh, and and I, know, I know kind of right now, I've actually been sort of hesitant today, because I know right now, like, a lot of folks are just like, dude, I just need spring break. I don't need wisdom, I just need spring break. And, uh, and I don't think anybody really wants to think about wisdom before spring break. Um, <laughs> but uh, too bad, suckers, because uh, we're going to talk about it. So uh, let's pray. Let's pray before we read the scriptures, uh, just for all sorts of stuff. Um, Father, um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts and minds be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let's look at our first text tonight. So open your Bibles, or potentially it's up on the screen. Uh, James, yes, James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. Um, it's right after the book of Hebrews. Uh, okay, so this is what James says um, in James chapter 1. Don't listen, uh, but don't just listen. <laughs> don't listen to God's word. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Let's pray. No, uh, that, actually, that actually is the entire sermon, but uh, we're going to talk. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, James says, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. This image to me is so stark. It's so great. Like, perhaps today, we probably are more familiar with our face uh, from the front-facing cameras on our phones uh, than a mirror. Um, but it strikes me still that, that it's likely that there is no people group in the history of the world that have been more familiar with their face than y'all. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, selfie's a new word. Right? I mean, it doesn't probably seem new to you. It seems pretty new to me. But, but nobody's been more familiar. But check this out. If I gave you a blank piece of paper, and I said, right now, from memory, draw your face, how hard would that be? How hard would that be? 
James here is telling us that hearing the word of God and not acting on it is like trying to do that. Practicing the wisdom we're taught works the wisdom of God into our bones so that we can use it and apply it. Every now and again, someone tells me that they're, um, they're like, you know, I'm a visual learner. Um, or, or they'll say something like, I learn kinetically, like I learn by doing things. And, uh, and friends, that's, that's like all of us. Every single one of us are visual learners. Every single one of us learns by doing things. I realize that some of us in this room have a much easier time than some others in like formal sort of uh, boxy classroom settings with lectures. Um, some of us maybe particularly are okay with some audible learning. <laughs> but every single one of us in this room learns better by practice. Every single one. Listen, it's really good to remember things. It really is. To hold on to them. But the point in receiving God's word is not just to remember it. It's to trust it. Which is an action word uh, in the Bible. To apply it. To do it. It's to take action in response to it. So with the sermon that Savannah preached at the beginning of the semester from Matthew 18, if if you can remember, if you were here, she laid out for us a very particular pattern of confrontation that Jesus gives us and showed us that the way, this is something Savannah said I think is really on point, y'all. It comes right out of Matthew 18. This is wisdom. That the way to reconciliation is through confrontation. That the way to reconciliation is through confrontation. James would tell us that there are only two responses that you could have had to that sermon. To forget it or to do it. That's it. If you have not practiced it, if you haven't put those words to action, that the way to reconciliation in Christ is through confrontation. If you have not put that to action, if you haven't moved toward someone one-on-one in a spirit of hope and reconciliation and confronted them, then you've forgotten it. God's desire is not that we would simply be hard drives storing correct data. Ooh, that's good. I'm going to highlight that. Or I'm going to write that down. Or I don't want to forget that. A little quiet time in note-taking machines. He gives us his word in order that it would graciously and effectively produce in us the kind of life God has in store for us. He wants a certain kind of life for you, friends. That's some of what he is picturing for us every time he talks about the kingdom, which is the number one thing Jesus talks about in the gospel accounts. And his word is intended to enable and empower that kind of kingdom life in you. It's not just given to you for you to remember. And our response to his word isn't simply in light of that. Don't forget, right? Like, write it down. Don't you ever forget this. It's do it. You know what I said about your yes being yes. You know what I said about you seeking wise counsel. You know what I said about you being slow to anger. You know what I said about persevering. You know what I said about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Practice it. Act upon it. If you haven't practiced, another example, if you haven't practiced constancy and vulnerability in your friendships from that sermon a month ago, you've forgotten it. And if right now you're thinking, oh, right, I remember, uh, it means you haven't practiced it. (laughs) You've seen your reflection in a mirror and then you've walked away and forgotten it. If you haven't practiced seeking counsel and resisted being hasty in your decision-makings, yep, uh, then you've forgotten the sermon 
that we heard on God's wisdom for decision-making. This is the dichotomy James is setting up. This is, these, these are opposites in his mind. The opposite of forgetting, according to James, is doing. If you have heard wisdom, the appropriate response is to act. Don't just listen to God's word. Act upon it. Look at what Jesus says once again. We, we read this earlier, but look at what Jesus once again uh, says from that, this really famous passage in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, or doesn't obey it, is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains come, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see this dynamic of hearing and doing in Jesus' words. That anyone who listens and follows is wise, and anyone who hears and doesn't obey is foolish. If you've been coming around this semester, you might remember that these wisdom writings in the Bible are always telling us about these two characters, these caricatures almost, the wise and the fool, or the, the wise man and the fool, or the wise and the foolish. And here Jesus summons these sort of ancient archetypes up and, and he props them up before his teaching and he says, I want you to imagine a wise person and a foolish person and I'm going to show you which one is which by how they respond to my teaching. The fool isn't somebody who didn't hear it. The fool isn't somebody who forgot to come to the sermon or the Bible study or the quiet. The, what is the difference between the fool and the wise man? They're both sitting there at his feet hearing his words. And he summons both of them before him and he says, which one is which? They both build their houses and from the outside it seems they might even look quite similar. Fine siding, strong roof, curb appeal, nice kitchen, whatever. But trial, he says, trial, which nobody likes to talk about. Trial is going to reveal the wise man from the fool. Storms and floodwaters and raging winds will come for the wise and the foolish alike. Jesus, friends, <clears throat> I think we say this a lot, but it's worth repeating because of how prone we are to believe things. Um, Jesus doesn't promise protection from that kind of stuff in this life. Do you remember his life? Was his life free from trial? Was his life free from suffering? And did he not invite us to become like him? Paul would say that he participates or shares in Christ's suffering in order that he might share in his resurrection. Doesn't Jesus send his people to do some of the same things he did? To go right into the midst of others' suffering and have compassion on them. The storms and the winds will come, and when they do, whatever the wise has been building, it'll still stand. Whatever the fool has been building will crash. That's Jesus' end, that's like the end of his sermon. The last word in his sermon is crash. And with that crash, I think he's begging us to consider how we might avoid such a fate. How, Jesus, can we avoid being fools? How, Jesus, can we be wise? We hunger for wisdom. We, we thirst for help. And he says, don't just hear my word. Act on it. Do it. Respond. Now, 
just real carefully for some folks in this room, this is going to be a really big deal. Hearing is a necessary first step. How can you ever act on something you haven't heard? How can you act on something you haven't heard? This is one of, just one of the many reasons why Christians are so freaking bent on proclaiming and teaching what Jesus said. How can we respond to what we don't even know? But in, in this moment, Jesus is saying to all these people who are hearing him, which is probably a good reason why he doesn't need to talk about hearing him in that moment. Because he's sitting on the side of this mountain thing, talking to this whole crowd. They're already there hearing, and Jesus says, hearing alone doesn't make us wise. Jesus says, the fool hears and ignores. The wise listen and act, and it's my hope, friend. Not that you come here and, and you hear all about this wisdom of God in different areas of your life and you just fill up your brains with Jesus' words. It's my hope that you respond to him in faith. That whatever life you're building is with able to stand against the rains and the winds and the floods because it's built on something solid. That you become wise by acting on what you hear him say. I, I really hope for that. There's... This sermon is parked right in the middle of a bunch of different things God has to say to us about different areas of our lives. And I like this one being right in the middle for, for the turn we're about to make. Because do you know what the crowds were thinking right after he said that word crash? Right at the end of his sermon, what were the crowds thinking? What was their response to him immediately at the conclusion of this lengthy sermon? Let's look at this next passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. Some translations say they were astonished. Quite unlike their teachers of religious law. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking, who is this guy? Who teaches like this? Not, not just the, that one point that he said, I really struggle with that. I really liked what he did there. Or, like, they're looking at this guy who just said, and, and, and the house will fall, with a, and great will be its crash. And they said, who is this? It reminds me of this other uh, scene. Some of you may know it from the Bible. It's not like just a scene. It actually happened. But, uh, whatever, work with me. Um, where, where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and he stills the wind and the waves with his words. And it, all of his friends are terrified, he, they, it says. Which you would be too if somebody said, shh, okay, keep going. And like the wind stopped because they said, shh. I, I assume that would freak you out. It should freak you out. And, and, and for the disciples, they were terrified when this, and they started murmuring to one another, who is this man who even the wind and the waves obey him? And here for three chapters in this letter, that this, this is Matthew's gospel. It's the very first book in your, in your New Testament of the Bible. For three chapters, Matthew's chapter 5, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is teaching. And we're only picking up the very tail end of this tonight. I encourage you to look at Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 later this evening or tomorrow morning or something just to read the whole thing in, in one gulp. I, I encourage you to do that. But this, this section is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, and there's, it's so interesting. There's no dialogue in it. If you've got a red-letter Bible where the, the, the certain letters are Jesus' teaching and they're red, like the entire thing is red. There's no interruption, which is really odd for Jesus because people like to interrupt him, and he seems to really be okay with interruption a lot. But in this sermon, it's just him speaking, just him, for three straight chapters. 
I pulled out this little collection of phrases from this Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to look at them just for a second so you can feel a little bit of the weight of what that crowd might have been feeling that day because I think just pulling up the tail end of this, you, you, it might be a little confusing why they were thinking what they were thinking. But just look at this. It might be hard to, to read back there. But these are all from this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And notice some of the, the, the weight of things here. I say to you, I tell you, I say to 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 you, I tell you. Not everyone who says to me, the will of my Father, on that day many will say to me, then I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine, I. I, I, me, my, mine. Jesus had so much to say in this sermon. His teaching and his methods are peerless. And they're astounding. And each are worth, I'm not kidding, each of the things he talked about are are worth a lifetime meditating on. Each of them. But when his marathon monologue came to a close with the word crash, the only thing they could think about was him. They'd never seen anyone like this. Over and over again, he would speak, you've heard it said, but I say. He said on the great day of judgment, he is the one people are going to be addressing. Not some other God. He says the people of this world are wise or foolish based entirely on one thing, their response to him and his word. As if, as if all authority in heaven and earth is his. As if the entire creation was made by, for, and through him. As if he was and is and evermore shall be. As if. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Because it's Jesus and we're in the Bible Belt, perhaps you give him a pass. But can you imagine anyone else saying that? Can you imagine if I said, if you want to be wise, friends, if this was the sermon tonight, if you want to be wise, not just with like your money or a particular project in your life, if you just want to be wise, period, listen to me and obey me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine anybody you've ever met saying that? I can't imagine one actually right now. My mind just started going. I'm like, I can imagine that person saying it. Uh, That's crazy. This is how Jesus spoke, though, friends. I, I, I. You've heard it said. And you know when he said you've heard it said who he's referring to? God and his scriptures. You've heard that God said this. You know what I say? Can you imagine that? In the midst of all of our talk about wisdom, in the midst of all the questions in life, in the midst of all the circumstances and the trials and the unknown, in the difficult work and the temptations which lay hold of us, Our invitation isn't really just to trust in some practical advice. Because this sermon series, I think, has been really, really practical in so many ways. Even if it's sound practical advice, it's not just, the invitation isn't just to simply trust in a method of conflict resolution or a pattern of character development that God brings about through perseverance in our lives. The invitation is to trust in the one who stands behind and under and over and in all of this. Not just one who gives wisdom, but one who demonstrates himself to be the fountain of wisdom. 
This is what they began to see when he was giving them wisdom. And as we sit before the wisdom of God all semester, like the rest of it after spring break, my hope and prayer is that you would see the same thing those people saw on that day. Jesus, Jesus, standing tall over and through wisdom. As you begin to apply the things we've already talked about, as you begin to apply some of the wisdom of friendships in your life, as you begin to apply some of the wisdom of perseverance, as you begin to apply some of the wisdom of honesty, as you begin to apply some of the wisdom of decision-making or conflict, or as you begin to apply those things, are you beginning to see how unbelievably wise the wisdom giver is? And when you see the fruit of those things in your life, do you begin to recognize the ways in which he cares for you that you didn't even think about? The hope is that we would hear his invitation and not just put our trust in his wisdom, but put our trust in him. This semester, we're going to keep exploring Jesus' life-giving wisdom in different areas. We're going to talk about how it comes to bear, like, what's God's wisdom for the local church? We're going to talk about what's God's wisdom as it applies to our bodies? What's God's wisdom as it applies to time and, like, time management? But tonight, in the middle of our semester, I want us to pause and remember the source of wisdom. The one who invites us to put our faith in him and respond to him, telling us that if we do, he will carry us to the end. This is what you and I actually need. Not just a better way to think about one area of our lives or how wisdom comes to bear on one aspect of our lives. I get into a conversation quite often with um, donors and uh, supporters of the house who are not you, who are not college students. And, And one of the things many of them are asking is sort of um, what is it that uniquely we're trying to offer and um, it can often be surprising for folks um, some of the things that y'all don't know or haven't encountered yet because of one very unique fact I think that there is no generation in the history of the world that's had more access to data than y'all like you guys have the ability like every single question that I get asked like uh, you could think about like yesterday, somebody texted me, uh, this is just my normal week, this is a normal Monday, uh, somebody texted me and said, hey, um, some of you might be in this room, I hope you are, um, I'd like to talk to you about it afterwards, actually, um, I'll be by that door over there, so, um, but somebody said, hey, my core group was talking about, we're reading through Exodus over Lent, and, and I want to know about, like, why God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and what the heck that means, and how I can trust God anymore, um, and I thought, ooh, that's fun, uh, so that was, like, between lunch and a meeting, responding to that. So that's like a tough, that's a really tough question. Um, you guys could look up answers that are better than any answers I could give, clearer than any answers I could give, counterpoints that out-argue my point, and then people who could out-argue my point for me, even though they disagree with me. You could find this stuff on YouTube and on gotquestions.org or whatever else you want to go to. And it's surprising often for folks, like what, what is it that that, that y'all need, and, and it strikes me so often is what I, I, you guys don't lack for data, but what you lack for, what you don't know is who to trust. Because you can Google, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? And there's, I don't know, like somebody could do it right now, 3.2 million search results. And, and it turns out like I don't care that much, you know, but like I care enough to I want an answer, but I don't, I'm not gonna look for 3.2 million results. That's like the question that's gonna dominate the rest of my life. I'm gonna get a PhD. I don't know if I want to do that, you know, but like you guys have so much access to data. What you often don't have is, is, is uh, folks you can trust. Who do I trust in the midst of a contradictory world? In the midst of a world that even has a phrase that now has meaning to it called fake news. What do you do? Who do you trust? Virtually every one of you in this room has grown up your whole lives when you've looked at the news, you know. It's not a safe answer to tell anybody that you look at one news site, is it? 
You, every single one of you in this room reads two, and you'd probably try to read, like, polarizing ones so that they kind of counter each other out or something. Like, that's like a normal thing now because we don't know who to trust, and the invitation is not just to take some wisdom about friendship and apply it to your life. Jesus is offering himself to you as somebody that you could trust, period. Period. The difference between the fool and the wise man is not somebody who listens to one of my pieces of advice or ten of my pieces of advice. It's the one who listens to whatever I say and does it. That person is wise and their house will not fall. Jesus, as I promise you, he's giving you the exact thing that you need. His invitation is that you respond to him. This is actually why we as Christians are commanded to remember Jesus and the sacrament of communion every time we gather. To never move too far away from remembering what he said in, in that moment and then acting upon it. To remember that this one who had all authority in heaven and on earth, this one who is our vision and means of wisdom, on the night he was betrayed, he was having dinner with his friends. And sitting there with his friends, he took the common loaf of bread sitting there before them, and after giving thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, after dining with them and hanging out with them and talking to them for a while, he took the cup in the same manner and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And for the past 2,000 years, and, and probably every single day for the past 2,000 years, literally every single day for the past 2,000 years, Christians have been coming to this sacramental table and been remembering what Christ has done, proclaiming his resurrection, and looking forward with great anticipation into when he will come again. Every single day for the past 2,000 years, over and over and over again. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward and respond to Jesus in this way. And I know that we come from a, a whole variety in this room of different sort of Christian streams, and uh, some of you may haven't taken communion in, in a long time. Some of you maybe never. The way we're going to do it here is I'm going to have service come forward in just a minute, um, and they're going to stand up front with a, a loaf of bread, and you're invited to tear a piece off. You can take a huge piece or a little piece. It doesn't matter. Um, I mean, if you take big ones, if you're in the back of the line, you just got small ones. Sorry. Um, there's enough of Jesus to go around. And, uh, and then you're going to rip off a piece of bread, um, and, and they're going to say, um, this is the, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. And you're invited to say amen or thanks be to God. Um, you can wink, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, uh, um, and, and then you're invited to dip it in the cup um, and, and eat it. Um, and again, saying thanks be to God or saying amen. Um, and then just sort of peel off and kind of go back to your, um, your spots. Tonight, um, I'm asking you to act. That's what this is about. I'm asking you to act, not just in response to words of wisdom, but in response to Jesus himself. Again, or for the first time, because in my mind, I kept thinking, how do I, with all of the ways in which God has spoken wisdom in your life, and all of the things he might be asking each and every one of you individually and in, in, in diverse ways to respond to, especially in light of spring break coming up, I was like, man, that's a big ask to ask you guys to go home now, finish up your midterms or whatever, or whatever the tests are this week, and, and, uh, and, and, and figure out how to respond to Jesus' thing. And I thought, he's already presented us with a way in which we can already do that, that we can already be wise by doing the very thing he says. Remember me. Do this every time you gather. 
And so we can say, I'm not just going to listen and think about the wisdom of your sacramental communion table. I'm actually going to participate in it and do it. And I just think success breeds success. So we're going to start by inviting you to act in response to Jesus tonight. Um, So let's do this together. Um, And and when you come, uh, feast on him in your hearts by faith.